Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times in Bloomington. And today we're going to look back at 2007 and probably take a look forward at 2008. With me today on the program are Will Murphy, the news director at WFIU, who's here in the studio. And joining us by phone are our our two frequent flyer guests, John Harmon, the editor of the Columbus Republic, and Max Jones, the editor of the Tribune Star in Terre Haute. Welcome, both of you. All three of you. you. Welcome to all of you. Thank you. (laughs) All right. Now, I should say that we're pre-recording this program for – uh, for airing today on the 28th, uh, we're actually doing this about a week in advance. So you can't call in, and we know that there's at least one big news story we'll, we'll be talking about a little bit in Terre Haute that probably will have changed between the time we talk and the time that you're hearing this program. So so let's get started. And my, Max, we might as well start with you. Let's talk about um, some of the big news stories of the year in Terre Haute. Well, there's been a couple of things that have uh, gotten a lot of people's attention, but nothing comes even close to the uh, to the ongoing controversy surrounding our municipal election this year. Um, what appeared to be uh, in our in the primary election, uh, sort of a definitive statement uh, in favor of the incumbent mayor Kevin Burke, uh, all fell apart for him in the uh, in the general election, uh, and a Republican a Republican challenger to the mayor. Uh, actually defeated him by a little over 100 votes, and it marked the first time in 40 years that uh, Terre Haute had elected uh, a Republican mayor. Uh, with all that said, uh, in fact, the, the, the election is still uh, undecided because uh, uh, shortly after the election uh, showed uh, Duke Bennett, the Republican, with a slight victory, uh, the incumbent Burke uh, filed a challenge to Bennett's eligibility uh, as a candidate based on the fact that he uh, is employed in a management role by Hamilton Center, which is a uh, regional mental health facility. And uh, the issue surrounded the Federal Hatch Act, uh, which uh, uh, basically prohibits some sorts of political activity by, uh, by individuals who, uh, who uh, are actually employed uh, or, or, or employed by agencies that uh, get money from the federal government. So it's been sort of a mess, as you can imagine, yeah, oh, and yeah. uh, it is. It remains uh, an issue. Uh, there were hearings about uh, into the whole issue earlier this week, and uh, actually, at the moment, we are awaiting uh, a ruling from uh, the superior court judge in Vigo County, and uh, you know that ruling could come to us. Uh, we expect it to today, but it could come at any moment, actually. And when we, so yeah. I'll keep you all posted. All right. <laughs> and when we're mentioning today again, we're pre. Recording this, so by uh, the time you're listening to this, something probably did happen in that case. Absolutely, Although it, it might even then not be resolved, right? I mean, they might uh, appeal, and Jim Bob doesn't like to give up. Well, you things... would expect now. You know, you know what I expect, Will. In this case, uh, for sure, if the uh, if the judge uh, issues a ruling in favor of uh, the incumbent, uh, which would in effect reverse uh, the outcome of the election, uh, you you would certainly expect the the Republican Party and uh, the Republican mayor elect to challenge it to appeal the judge's ruling. Uh, I don't think it's quite as clear on the other side. Uh, you know, if uh, if Kevin if Mayor Burke uh, loses in the uh, local court level, uh, there's always a possibility he could appeal, but I don't, I don't think that's as clear at this point of whether or not he will challenge it further if he loses at this stage. Okay, so municipal election in Terre Haute, big story. Uh, how about in Columbus, John? What were some of the big stories over there? Well, it wasn't the municipal election. <laughs> our, our, our three term. I think we were out of here but before the polls closed, actually. <laughs> no, we have a very popular three-term mayor who's set the, set the standard for uh, pluralities in, in past elections. He was elected easily this time for his fourth term, which was a precedent uh, for us. But the the big thing, I think, overriding, the, the and I'm sure we'll talk about the tax assessments, was our downtown development. There's just a lot of activity going on and a lot of different ent- entities and pieces of it coming together. Uh, we talked about it earlier this year on, on the program. The, the uh, hotels coming into town, right. our commons fixed year is going to come down here. Uh, it's going to close uh, New Year's Eve. Is the, is the last, that's the last day for it. Um, and there's a lot of there's a parking deck going up. Uh, it's just really an exciting time uh, for for downtown. Well, for Columbus in in t- 
total, but uh, for the entire community. Mm-hmm. All right. So it sounds like business and downtown. We're, we're sort of two for two here, Will, in Bloomington. I think the city election and, and downtown are two of the issues we'd probably talk about a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. development is a big thing. Yeah. So with the city election here, though, we're sort of, uh, you know, we, we've had a Democratic mayor for uh some 42 years, I think, 43 years, something along those lines. Since, since Tommy Ellison. Yeah, so, well, no, since John, since, <laughs> since Frank McCloskey. Right, so long time, and uh, we still have a Democratic mayor. Mm-hmm. We didn't have this, the kind of upheaval that you had in Terre Haute, Max. So. But the municipal election here, uh, and well, you know, correct me if you think I'm wrong, but I think that the city government, if, you know, if possible, took a little bit of a turn to the left. <laughs> and I'm not sure, I wasn't sure that'd be possible. But. I don't know if it's to the left or not. I mean, Mayor Cruzan made a, a joke, as he often does, in his presentation to council last week about getting an email from Brad Wisler, who, mm-hmm. you know, everywhere he goes, he's the quorum for the Republican caucus on council. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, so whether or not it's more liberal or not, I don't know. But it's it's I sure get the impression there's less sort of oversight. Mm-hmm. Well, they, that makes but, me a little anxious. Well, when I, when I say that, I, I mean basically a couple of a couple of people who were uh, moderate. What I would consider them the moderate Democrats. Uh, well, Mike Decoff in particular has left the council. He's now the he's been named the police chief uh, under the mayor Mayor Mark Cruzan and um, David Sabah, who was one of two Republicans on the council, was the Republican who went, ran against Cruzan and was was beaten pretty soundly uh, in the election. So instead of a 7-2 Democrat uh, majority, it's an 8-1 to Democrat majority now. So, But it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. I think 7-2, 8-1, it doesn't really matter. The, the, uh, the, the direction of, of the city of Bloomington has been um, pretty uh, clearly passed out for the last decade or so, and, and people seem to be uh, very happy with the direction it's going. Can you give a sense of how uh, Mike Satterfield... We'll sit in this council. Um, I've been, Mike Satterfield um, is replacing Mike Decoff on the council, and he's Mike Decoff's neighbor. And uh, the, my only con- my only uh, information about Satterfield really is, I shouldn't admit this, but really it comes through Decoff, who believes that he'll be you know a very strong council member. And um, well, I think I think those two guys are probably a little bit closer um, than. Maybe Satterfield would be with some of the other folks who are a little bit more on the green end of things. The other thing you can say about council is that it's going to become more voluble with the absence of uh, Mike Decoff. He was famous for – he was as talkative as Mount Rushmore. So so, uh, I think we'll hear uh, a lot more. uh, If if it's possible, city council meetings will become even longer. That that could be. That's right. All right. So let's let's talk about education a little bit. Any any education issues uh, in Columbus or Terre Haute that you want to talk about? Uh, Big time in in Columbus. We have uh, a new middle school opened up this year, and that was – really a big community story uh, going back several years when uh, we attempted a major bond uh, to repair several schools, switch, switch uh, middle schools uh, alignments, and which, which got shot down in a remonstrance. But uh, Central Middle School opened up in its state-of-the-art. It's right, right downtown. Um, and it's uh, a couple with that. Uh, we've started the magnet school approach and also uh, are the only community that's that's linking that with uh, in, into the middle school which which ties in with central central's opening um, and we're realigning a couple of schools uh, to, to and, and we're actually making a third high school a third building anyway for uh, it's called a, a tech school a where, new, new tech high school yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and so it's I mean it's there's been so much uh, it's almost uh, a replication of the array of programs coming down from the state level that you you, you kind of you know from uh, from toll roads to license branches and what time it is uh, <laughs> it's, you know. and on top of that with that project completed uh, there were uh, major renovations needed at north which needs major uh, infrastructure uh, repairs because it's you know 40 years uh Oh, and uh, also East needs a lot of repairs. That's sixty million dollars per school. Um, another one, not to 
dominate here, but uh, there are other county uh, school corporation, Flat Rock Haw Creek, and this kind of ties into the the plan. Uh, they had a plan to close the school and streamline the the existing middle school and high school. Uh, I went through a remonstrance. Well, there was plenty of discussion on that. Closing the school was very controversial. They agreed to do that, and then uh, there was a remonstrance on the eighteen million dollar program, and that was uh, it was the. the Remonstrance was defeated, so then it was clear sailing. But it got uh, rejected on the state board of tax commissioners field uh, examiner hearing, who didn't like the uh, some parts of the parts of the proposal, and was going to recommend a rejection of it. So there, uh, it was an interesting, even though it was approved in an arduous process to remonstrance projects locally, it was still, uh, it was thumbs down on the state level. Now, that doesn't mean it's dead, but there'll be further uh, work has to be done on it. I think we'll get to, I think there's some things to talk about with that, uh, the remonstrance process and the referendum process that the governor has recommended for for public school projects, but uh, we'll get to that in, in a little bit a little bit later in the program. Uh, Max, how about you? Well, the uh, the the main news uh, out of the education front uh, here in Terre Haute this year has really been in the higher education uh, area. Uh, earlier this year, really in the first half of the year, uh, the current ISU president uh, announced that uh, that he would be stepping down from that role at the end of uh, next year, end of 2000, or during the middle of 2008, once his contract expires. Uh, that was, uh, you know, that's always a big deal when you have a university that's going to change leadership. Uh, ISU has uh, been struggling the last few years uh, to keep its enrollment uh, where it needs to be. Uh, there's been some uh, major realignment of programs and, and proposals to realign its programs and try to refocus its purpose uh, as a as a state university. Uh, so amid all of that, uh, the university now is in the process of looking for uh, a new president. Uh, so that'll also be a, a big story for next year, but certainly was a big story on the education front this year with the decision of the of, the, of President Lloyd Benjamin to uh, uh, to step to step down at the end of his contract. Uh, and secondly, I would say uh, kind of, it's kind of an interesting story uh, from our perspective was that uh, St. Mary of the Woods College. Uh, uh, which is a, a private, is a Catholic uh, uh, women's uh, university here in uh, in Vigo County. Uh, they uh, chose uh, the first male president uh, in their history, uh, so that was very interesting. Uh, the the gentleman's name is David Bears, and uh, he seems like a grand guy. He's got uh, got some great vision, shows great leadership skills, and the community seems real excited. Uh, about him being here, and we're anxious to see how that works. But it certainly was uh, quite a departure of tradition uh-huh. to have uh, a traditional women's school actually uh, choose a, a male as yeah. their president for the first time in their uh, long history. Yeah, it, it sounds like uh, a lot was going on on the higher education level. In Bloomington, I think uh, Will and I would agree that higher education had huge stories this year, but so did public education. Well, why don't you talk a little bit about higher education, and I'll fill in with the public education. Well, obviously, the, the story is uh, uh, President McGrawby taking over for President Herbert. Uh, Her- Herbert uh, Green stepped down a, a little ahead of schedule uh, with his contract, and uh, uh, Michael McGrawby uh, taking over, and uh, I think it's a bit of an understatement to say he's a guy who doesn't let grass grow under his feet. I mean, he, he started in, he was named in uh, March, one of two finalists. And that discussion, of course, generated a lot of discussion. Um, there was another uh, in-house candidate from the Indianapolis campus. And uh, um, who they picked uh, to succeed uh, President Herbert, I think, uh, alienated a lot of folks and, and made a lot of friends, no matter which decision they they went with. Um so and McRobbie takes over in July, and since then it's kind of amazing to look at the things that have happened just in that short period of time. I mean, there's the trip to China that just got uh, completed, China and Australia. Um, there's the uh, 69 million dollars uh, that was given just the other day to the uh, music school and the law school from uh, Lilly Foundation. There was the announcement of I think it's 113 million dollars in construction projects uh, for. Uh, reconfiguring the dormitories. And I know that uh, 
President Mugrabi, one of his uh, big things is sort of redefining the face of the campus and radically increasing both research and classroom space. So I think this is just sort of the beginning of what he's hoping to do there. Well, I think he also he named a whole lot of people to key positions at the university, and and I think they. I'm not going to go through every one of them, but I would mention uh, Karen Hansen, who's the new provost at at IU Bloomington, and she's been on the program, and I think she's she has her hands full with her new position. Do we need to say, just in the interests of transparency, that you're wife works for the IU News uh, Service Office, and my wife works for McGrawby's office. I, I don't think we have to say that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's okay if you did. All right. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, on, on the uh, public school front, uh, John, Bloomington is much like Columbus. I think actually Bloomington is looking to Columbus for leadership in terms of, of sort of restructuring the, the school corporation. And uh, Bloomington is involved, Monroe County is involved in the high school level. Um, a new technology high school is going to open up here in the fall. And that was decided, I think, about in May or June. It was decided early in the summer. And there have been lots of discussions about where it's going to go. And right now it's scheduled to be in Bloomington High School South. But there's a lot, there are a lot of sort of coy comments being made about how it may not be in South. It may wind up with a freestanding building. So we'll have to wait and see about that. And then the uh, early college program is taking hold here, and it's going to start up in the fall as well, where students can be taking classes for college credit. And it's really aimed toward um, students that don't normally go to college, 21st century scholars, young, young people whose family traditions don't necessarily include higher education, and those are the ones that are being targeted for that. So two sort of alternative ways to get through high school, one that would get a jump start on college and one that would uh, have this new technology model, which involves um, problem-solving and and uh, problem-based, project-based learning. So uh, it's been a very active year uh, on the education front here in, in Bloomington and Monroe County. Um, you have a second go around on education. Sure, go right ahead. Yeah. Uh, I, I'd be remiss in, in not mentioning uh, IUPUC got uh, a $2 million uh, funding from from the legislature this year, and it was one of the most closely anticipated and closely watched uh, numbers uh, that, I, that since I've been around, because it really turned the corner, allowed the campus to turn the corner and open up some new uh, program offerings and degree offerings, especially in like areas of, uh, of nursing, uh, which is a, a critical shortage, and it was a major boost to the to our our local campus, and the the, the learning center, which is located between Ivy Tech and IUPUC, has really enriched the cooperation and the the programs programming between you know, locally and especially between those two schools. It's just amazing how that's blossomed here in the last last few years. Um, also. Just a, a footnote, which probably might lead into a later discussion. Our uh, English is a second language. The number of students enrolled in that it's climbing towards a thousand, where, where it was like 200, 300 a few years ago, and now it's up to 860 and heading heading up. And that's that has a profound impact on a, a good portion of the school corporation. And then lastly. Uh, we really stepped forward that we being the community on the literacy effort. We've had uh, three book read, community book reads where we uh, tackle. This last one is uh, a story about stonecutters down at uh, Bedford, a family. It's, it's an interesting uh, book. But uh, coupled with that is a, uh, a program called Book Buddies where vo- community volunteers read with second graders for the whole year. They'll, go, they'll take a half hour and read uh, to, to kids with the idea of that, that really helping them launch their uh, reading abilities and, and literacy and further matriculation as they go on. We, had, we looked at the uh, I-STEP scores, and it was, it was just one year, so it really wasn't hard, fair to take, draw a lot of conclusions. But they did really track the students who were book buddies, recipients, and 50 to 80 percent of them uh, passed their eye steps, whereas passed very few would have passed. So it's really an incredible, uh, you know, stepping up to the plate kind of situation. Where the and this year we had more volunteers to uh, to do it than than last year. So it's really 
exciting thing that, that's helping, that we know are helping uh, kids uh, improve their educational foundation. If I could just add another couple of uh, postscripts sure. there. Also in Columbus, and I'm sorry, John, if you'd already mentioned this, but uh, IUPUC has a change in leadership as well. And um, there was another note in Columbus that I'm trying to remember, and it's, oh, it's a, not really a major story, but it's an interesting sort of harbinger of things to come, and that was the decision by the uh, Columbus School Board to, uh, to offer Mandarin in their yeah, curriculum. Yeah, to... that was, well, it, for the first out of the box was they, they went by the numbers and were going to, uh, uh, going to put uh, German on the shelf. And that this is a, a very a community with a very, very strong German heritage. And uh, that idea didn't go so well. But uh, they will offer, put a Mandarin on the plate, and if enough uh, students sign up with it, then they'll they'll go with it and hope hope to find funding. Of course, that's that's the major thing. The change of command was like an interim kind of situation. Jay Howard, who has a, been a, a professor out there for several years, uh, is took over for Nassar Paydar, who moved over to uh, Richmond. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, Jay's uh, interim, but he's he's uh, fully engaged and really a full participant and has been for years. He's also a member of the, the school board, the BCSE school board. So uh, we have a, an incredible uh, a, a ta- array of talent on, this, on our school board here. You know, a great, great thing is that we could talk about education for a really long right, time in right. all of our communities. I, I'm sitting here thinking, well, I should mention Ivy Tech because in 2007, <laughs> Ivy Tech passed the, in Bloomington, passed the 5,000 mark in terms of enrollment. I mean, the growth at that campus has been staggering, and it probably has in your community. Same, yeah. Same here. Yeah, sure you, has. You've yeah. got to note that uh, Gerald Lampkin, who, who's been uh-huh. uh, president of Ivy Tech since God made dirt um, <laughs> and, and really instituted the community college system in Indiana, um, stepped down. Right. Replaced by Tom Snyder. Yep. And so, uh, yeah, so Ivy Tech is something in all of our communities that we, we shouldn't neglect. Uh, I want to remind our listeners that this is a, a special pre-recorded edition of Noon Edition. John Harmon from the Republic in Columbus is here with us. Max Jones from the Tribune Star in Terre Haute. Will Murphy from WFIU. And I'm Bob Zaltzberg. We're talking about the big news stories of 2007. And in the second half of our program, we'll, we'll turn a little bit to 2008. Um, before we leave the education area, I just have to mention sports. And I know John and Max are sports fans as well. You know, some of the biggest stories in, in Bloomington and Monroe County this year involved Indiana University sports. Uh, Terry Hepner's death in June, uh, his being replaced by Bill Lynch uh, on an interim basis, a one-year basis, and then the team doing well enough to get a bowl bid and, and Coach Lynch being named uh, head coach um, on a four-year contract. Um, so that, the, that was a, a huge story here. And it's, you know, it's one of those stories that could be turned into a movie and probably will at some point. Mm-hmm. And then on, uh, on the other side of the coin, we have uh, the IU basketball program, which is doing very, very well on the court, but not so well off of it with <laughs> Coach Kelvin Sampson. And, um, you know, we'll, we're, we're still – this news story may break between uh, the time we record this program and the time that we air it too, but we're still waiting for the NCAA to weigh in on some um, violations and some allegations made about uh, improper phone calls, which makes – which is uh, something that Coach Sampson had been uh, found guilty of doing before – um, so the NCAA may have there may be some sanctions against IU. We're just waiting to see about that. So it's kind of put a little bit of a shadow over this. Yeah, I don't well, think there's much to add. Yeah, I well, mean, well, I don't want to add anything to that. I think it, uh, yeah, I'll just stop. Okay, <laughs> right. a couple of names that uh, listeners, uh, at least the veteran listeners, would be familiar with. Uh, Mike Phipps uh, from Columbus went into the College Hall of Fame this past year, and Ray Eddy, who's earlier generation, several earlier generations. He went into the Purdue Hall of, Hall of Fame. Um, you know, he, was, he was a top player and coach. And I, I just have to plug one of the most exciting games I've, I've ever been to, <laughs> the, the Columbus East Girls. I read about that. It was, it was just semifinals uh, against center, center Grove. Thrilling, exciting game.
game, and they went on to lose against uh, South Bend, Washington in the in the finals. But it was just a, a fantastic experience for you know for the the team and the, and the school and the community. We also had. Uh, li- People might be familiar with Maria Stack. Uh, she's in, she made the uh, the state basketball Hall of Fame, so it was a uh-huh. big year. And NASCAR fans will <laughs> Tony Tony Stewart, a local resident who's taken up uh, res, well, he's he's has some significant property in the in the community, shall we say, <laughs> and uh, on the brickyard for the second time. Yeah, we were I, thinking of uh, doing a parade and everything for him, but I, I don't think Tony's into that kind of stuff. He's uh, into winning races. <laughs> <laughs> Any Hall of Famers over there in Terre Haute, Max? Well, I tell you, what, we have uh, we have some interesting uh, uh, characters on the sports uh, scene here, uh, but but I, I need to mention before I get into that is that while uh, while the IU football fans over the years have. Uh, have wondered whether or not the football program would ever uh, get to another bowl game uh, before this year. Uh, over here in Terre Haute, the question is, uh, is ISU's football team ever going to win another game? <laughs> oh, nice. uh, you, you may or may not know that uh, the, the football program is, uh, has really been struggling in recent years. I believe they've won one game in the last four seasons. And uh, what happened this year was uh, the, the decision was made to remove the current coach uh, in the middle. His name was Lou West, and he was removed uh, from his head coaching position in the middle of the season. Uh, that certainly didn't have uh, any direct impact on the, the success or failure of the season because no, the, the ISU didn't win any games. Uh, but what they did was uh, they went out and have now hired a former uh, Indiana State University player, a player who was here and during a period when the ISU football program was very successful. Mm-hmm. Uh, his name is Trent Miles, and uh, he is already uh, hard at work trying to uh, see if he can take a shot at uh, rebuilding a program that uh, has had some success in the past, but certainly in the more recent past, uh, it has really been uh, really been struggling. It's really been a problem, and there's even been questions about whether or not the football program should continue. Mm-hmm. And he's, uh, he's coming from Washington, right? Pardon me? He's coming from Washington, yes. right? Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, on a more upbeat uh, uh, front, uh, the community uh, had just a just a tremendous uh, event here a few weeks ago uh, when uh, they announced they were going to uh, uh, create an Olympic uh, uh, monument uh, in a, at the site of a former high school, one of the old high schools, Terre Haute Garfield, which uh, you know consolidated some 35 years ago or so. And uh, the three uh, gentlemen uh, who are going to be honored are uh, Terry Dishinger, uh, who was uh, he played at, at Purdue? He played at Purdue yeah. and, uh, <laughs> and and was a very Clyde prominent. Lavelle, maybe Clyde Lavellet is one, yeah. a professional basketball player, and the third was Greg Bell, who was a, a gold medal Olympian. Oh yes, uh, that's great track star here. Was- so all three of those uh, gentlemen won gold medals uh, in the Olympics. Uh, in addition to to having stellar uh, individual careers, uh, and this year they uh, they announced the uh, creation of this Olympic Park to uh, to honor these uh, gold medalists, and uh, we had a very upbeat uh, ceremony here, and the the gentlemen seemed to truly appreciate what the community had done for them, and we're all proud of them. And even though they don't live around here anymore, they seemed real pleased to uh, to come back and uh, uh, be part of the event. Well, since we're bragging on our own. Um, I think it's worth noting that uh, A.T., Anthony Thompson, yeah. gone into the uh, Hall of Fame right. uh, and recognized uh, by his colleagues and uh, uh, successors just recently. And, we and just, he's from Terre Haute. He is from Terre Haute. <laughs> so we have a twofer there. And we just uh, announced uh, in our paper, I think it was uh, announced just just last week, that uh, Jerry Yegley is going into the That's Hall right. of Fame for college soccer coaches as That's well. That's certainly deserved. And, you know, John Mellencamp is not an athlete, although there is a John Mellencamp on the IU soccer team. It's his, it's his nephew. Um, but he's going into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, too. So. What? that's not happening and you don't see, and I think people are suffering in silence, is this deal between the cable and the Big yep. Ten network. Mm-hmm. Uh, after, you know, I, I'm slightly interested in Big Ten basketball. and <laughs> You like you those know, Hawkeyes, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm across the board, any, any team. And, you know, I'll watch uh, Penn State and Northwestern. But, I mean, they're gone. It's, yeah. it's just amazing that, that this has come come to this point and uh as a fan i'm really up, 
upset about it. Uh, I just have to go back to the radio, which is what I did 30 yeah. or 40 years ago. But Yeah, don't get me started on this Big Ten Network thing. I, you know, It's greed on both sides. That's yeah, what, absolutely. Exactly. exactly. Uh, all right, well, we, we've hit halftime, which is a good good thing to say about <laughs> sports. Um, we're, uh, we're doing a, a show today uh, about 2007 and some of the big sports some of the big stories were sports stories and we're going to get back to, to the news uh, some things about maybe some crime news some state news some national news uh, after we take a break you're listening to noon edition we'll be right back You're listening to Noon Edition on member-supported WFIU. Production support comes from Closets 2, providing organized and expanded closet and storage space for home office and garage, using a variety of systems with no major renovations. Closets 2 owned and operated in Bloomington, 332-2233. And from South Dunn Street Project, represented by Brian Lappin Real Estate, classic bungalow-inspired architecture in the Bryan Park neighborhood of Bloomington, www.southdunnstreet.info The holiday season is upon us, and, well, what do you get for the Prairie Home Companion Lover on your list? Garrison Keeler and company are coming to the IU Auditorium in Bloomington on February 16th for a live national broadcast. Premium seating with access to post-show VIP reception still available. More information available at wfiu.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Salzberg from the Herald Times, along with Will Murphy from WFIU, John Harmon. He's got he's got his new crusty uh, the clown pen, and I'm sorry we can't control him. Uh, Will Murphy (laughs) is here, and John Harmon is here from the Republican Columbus, and Max Jones is I say here they're both on the phone from their respective communities. Max Jones from the Tribune Star in Terre Haute. Um, We are. Pre-recording the program, which means you can't phone us with uh, questions or comments, uh, including comments about Krusty's comments. <laughs> so I'll be quiet now. I'm sorry. All right, um, Max, John, let's uh, let's take a quick spin around the the unhappy uh, topic of of crime. You know, we always cover these bad stories, and there's always always seems to be a story or two a year that people will remember. Um, I guess we can go first. I think Will and I were talking before about the the case of Wade Steffi. Will? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that certainly was a a dominant story both here and uh, uh, at Purdue. Um, And I really don't know what you say aside from the fact that it's one of those stories that really just rivets a community's attention. And and there's there's some good, I guess, that comes out of it that that, uh, um, Purdue looks at at its safety protocols – that there is a scholarship uh, set up uh, in his memory, but just a, a tragic series of events that affected two very close-knit communities. Yeah, I think that's probably enough. Just want to acknowledge some of these things. Uh, Max, anything in Terre Haute? Um, or did you have a good year? Well, you've got the Jabins thing. It's not a crime thing, but it's a similar kind of story. Um, the, uh, the Scott Jabins case was uh, very perplexing to the community over a long period of time. A 20-year-old man who uh, disappeared back in the spring of 2002 and virtually without a trace. There had had never been uh, any evidence whatsoever uh, that gave investigators any any clue as to what may have happened. And then to a series of coincidences uh, this fall, uh, his uh, his vehicle was found in the Wabash River uh, near uh, one of our city parks. And uh, after the uh, car was recovered, uh, there were human remains in the car. It turned out to be uh, Scott Javins in the car. And uh, just this week, the uh, coroner and the police uh, released the results of their investigation, and uh, they came to the conclusion that uh, uh, that it was an accidental death, that uh, uh, that the young man was intoxicated and uh, drove into the park and, and uh, put his car into fifth gear, probably thinking that it would not roll, and then he fell asleep. Uh, and, in fact, the car did roll and rolled into the river, and uh, he drowned uh, uh, as a result of that. 
so, uh, but, you know, five and a half years went by, and uh, there was never any clue, and certainly at times foul play was suspected. Uh, it didn't, uh, at this point, there's never been any evidence of that. Uh, but it has been uh, one of the stranger cases, I think, uh, that I've ever encountered, and the community was uh, sort of uh, in the middle of this gut-wrenching uh, thing for, for so long, and there may be a sense of relief now that uh, uh, people finally know what, what may have happened. Yeah, those cases are very sad. John? Well, we had, uh, you might be familiar, you are familiar with the quadruple murder down in uh, Jackson yeah, County, sure. and here, uh, the Robert Bassett, he was brought back to trial for conspiracy because when he was in prison uh, or in jail, he tried to ha- uh, have the uh, the uh, prosecutor, deputy prosecutor, uh, murdered. Uh, so he was sent another 80 years was added on to him, and I don't think that he was uh, convicted once and that was overturned and then uh, convicted again at the tune of, I don't know, 140000 and then this was a third case, so we won't be seeing him for a while, but probably the the piece that every county faces, and we faced this ten years ago, and and are facing it again, or is is a jail addition of 8.5 million addition to the jail, and we just had a brand new jail ten years ago, so it's uh, really kind of pessimistic in a way, despite a lot of uh, programming in our county, uh, work release, um, you know, rehab pro- programs uh, at the. Uh, Largely, I suppose, with the meth meth outbreak in the last five, six years, uh, the jails are just bulging, and uh, that, does, that in itself doesn't seem to deter people from committing crimes to get into crowded jail cells. So we have to build $8.5 million additions where it could be, goodness knows, spending a lot of other uh, uh, places. We had a couple big fires, too, uh, Hoosier Parts, and then the Seasons Lodge over there in Brown County. Oh, yeah. Incredible. Yeah. yeah. Was the Brand Fire, was that last year or the year before? That was right about this time, okay. the year before, uh, right around during the holidays, and then uh, the investigation and went on during during last, you know, last spring and middle mm-hmm. of the year. Okay. Well, I might mention uh, just the last note on uh, on this crime issue or, or security issue. Uh, security, the, the criminal justice issue. Monroe County, of course, is also um, has been wrestling for a long time with an overcrowded jail. And, and in 2007, there were a couple of different um, proposals brought forward about how to create more space for to, to house offenders and also to to solve our juvenile justice problem with a juvenile justice center. So those will be big. That's a, that's going to be a big issue for 2008. Although it's been on the books for about. On the books, it's been discussed for about 20 years already. So we'll see what happens. I have to say that Columbus was at least got a mention in one of the weirdest stories of the year to me. It's not a crime story. It is because the release came from the U.S. Attorney this week. But that guy who goes uh, on his mail route in Plainfield or wherever it was, he makes one delivery. He locks up his truck. He smears his own blood on his uh, mail truck. Uh, gets in a kayak, goes down the White River to Columbus. Yeah, that was in uh, Greenfield. Greenfield, that's He was it, from yeah. Greenfield, but he, he ended up in a uh, used Long car lot in the south. I said, what is this all about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. The mail must a... go through, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was, but that, that ranks up there on the bizarro meter. Absolutely. All right. Now, let's, let's uh, for a few minutes, set our sights uh, a little bit more on 2008. And we can do this, but I want to move to, to, to sort of some some state stories, and not so much what the legislature did, but what the uh, the governor did in the last year with a, his proposal uh, for property tax reform, and then um, the the uh, commission headed up by Randall Shepard, the chief justice, and Joe Kernan, the former governor, on reorganizing state government. So let's let's start with property tax reform. What 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 parts of that proposal, um, John? Let's start with you. Do you think have you know any chance at all? What's your what's your take on it? On like like which which part? What? Well, the, his proposal, which includes things like going to a seven percent um, sales tax, um, capping the assessed valuation for property tax, so it would reduce the state's reliance on property tax. Well, yeah. 
we've we've done a, a series. I, I wasn't sure whether you're talking the streamlining or the, the government no, proposal. The, yeah, on the tax reform. But um, we've been doing a, a series of uh, actually an unending series on uh, on each element of that, going from like the homestead the homestead exemption. We got a, a, a call, or I, I got a call from a, a woman who had hood property uh, and had two houses. Uh, she moved from one to the other when her husband died, and uh, then she went to file for her homestead, and she couldn't have, you can't, it's only on one property, but she couldn't file it that year because she missed the deadline. Her, her, life, her situation changed in April, and then she wouldn't be eligible for the next year. I mean, and so that's a substantial, yeah. almost probably almost double what she would pay in her. So there's there's details like that, and and the, I guess, we'll we'll need a uh, like we would have a business plan before we would tackle what what is the actual impact of an increase in sales tax? Who who is that really going to affect? What products is it going to affect? And will it end up uh, more? Benefiting will it solve the problem in the long run? And I don't. I really haven't seen. I've I've heard the same debates, the same arguments, uh, over and over, uh, but not not much move, movement as far as uh, as far as uh, you know the, the sales tax. The I don't think the the overall assessment issue was basically equalizing and then co- compounding that with the trending piece. Uh, that that was something that needed to be done, just like a lot of these things in this local government, streamlining local government, uh, need. they're obvious. One thing, volunteer fire departments are just not going to make it in the future. They may, might make it next year, but in the future, it's not going to happen. So there's a lot of, there's just so many elements in it, uh, but it's, it's fantastic that we're tackling it, and, and there's pain, and we knew that from whenever the suit was filed in Lake County that this was going to, the chickens were going to come home to roost, <laughs> and they're here. But at least we're, we're waiting th- through it, and we're maybe halfway there. Well, one point I, I said before, we, I, I get back to the issue of remonstrances and referendums, and one part of this, uh, the governor's plan would call for essentially a, a referendum on any significant capital project that government's going to undertake. And it seems to me, and I've said this in editorials, that that's going to essentially stop any school improvement building. Right. Well, I, uh, I worked at Richmond and, uh, you know, with Ohio next door. That's, I mean, it's, you're right. That's it. Yeah. Max, how about uh, your thoughts? Well, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll take a little different approach to the question, and uh, it, it, perhaps it's more of a political approach. I, I think the largest questions uh, for me going into this year, and certainly starting on January the 8th when the General Assembly convenes, is whether or not there's uh, that body is going to have the will to take any major reforms uh, under consideration and actually make movement on it uh, this year. You know, they're going into a short session. Uh, they're going into a highly politicized situation with some uh, heavily politicized issues. We've got a gubernatorial election uh, hovering nearby, and uh, uh, perhaps I'm uh, a little too cynical about the whole process. But uh, at this point, um, you know, I'm going to have to see the action to believe it. Uh, I am not in the least bit. Uh, optimistic that that any uh, major progress will be made uh, in in the environment and the climate that exists uh, in Indianapolis once you get into a short session leading into a primary leading into a gubernatorial election. Uh, I, it's going to be a very curious thing to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I guess my question about that would be: Are are the citizens of Indiana going to demand some sort of action? Or are the citizens going to be are going to be willing to sort of um, just watch the status quo continue? Well, and uh, you know, I guess we'll kind of see whether or not there's some sort of groundswell. Uh, you know, at this point, there very well could be, but you wonder in a short session whether or not they can generate the kind of momentum to force a change yeah. uh, on the legislature. I, I almost see the brinksmanship uh, that we've often seen in the past occur yeah. uh, in the General Assembly, taking effect into the, to, to the point that uh, some of uh, the leadership is going to say, hey, we're just going to take our chances uh, that, uh, that, that the public's going to be on our side. 
Will, what about the the reorganization of state government and county <laughs> government? What do you think? I, it's hard to predict. I think uh, there's probably a lot of popular support for streamlining government. I mean, the proposals uh, that are outlined by the Kernan Shepherd Commission um, suggest, for example, basically cutting a uh, number of elected officials in half. Um, and I, and I, as I say, I think there's probably general popular support, but there's also a strong lobby on behalf of township assessors in particular and uh, county governments. Uh, uh, so I think there'll be a lot, uh, a lot of opposition to protect turf. Um, it maybe has uh, a somewhat enhanced chance of success, at least certain parts of it, because of the people who headed that commission, two people who are, I think, respected for their moderation, uh, former Governor Curran and, and Chief Justice uh, Shepard. So that may help the, ha the chances for some of it. The other problem is that in Marion County, for example, I can see big support for changing county government. And given a few stories that I won't refer to uh, here in, in Monroe County, I could <laughs> see a big support for changing how uh, county government officials are selected. But there are places like Lake County, good luck. You know, yeah. that's not going to happen. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting to me. I think there are a lot, a lot of good ideas in both the governor's proposal and the Kernan Shepherd Commission proposal. But as Max said, you know, will there be the political will to, to do anything? One thing I want to throw out to, to all three of you is this, this sort of um, insistence on trying to make a constitutional amendment out of both of these things. I mean, the, the, the governor wants it to be a constitutional amendment that would change the, you know, the, the assessed valuation that would cap it. And there's a constitutional amendment in the reorganization plan as well. Um, what do you guys think about about that? Any thoughts? It's just crazy. I mean, I'd like a constitutional amendment that guarantees a 10 percent raise every year and a constitutional amendment that gives me a daily allotment of chocolate. I just think it's crazy <laughs> that people think, God, I want this to happen. Let's put it in the – it's just – I think it's just nuts. Yeah. I think some of it is, uh, is mandatory that when you're t getting into restructuring pieces of – and it's only because that's the way it's always been and it's in the Constitution. Yeah. I mean, if you have to do it, that's fine. And, and part of that, uh, if there's a cap, that's – I mean, that's that's fine. The only problem is that it adds, what, is it like three years to the process? I think it does, yeah. Something mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. yeah. But it, this is, it's amazing, this stuff. I mean, this is Indiana. I mean, I've heard, I used to hear people just complain all the time about the township system. Now somebody's actually... Uh, stepping forward and and doing, but it's it's like uh, uh, school issues. There's teacher in every neighborhood, uh, and it's very uh, township trustees, township uh, offices, the firehouses are the are the little city halls of, of in each township, and that's the at least that's way it's been traditionally. That might be changing, uh, and that will be very difficult to change. But this it's really exciting that they're – I know just from seeing in, in, with volunteer fire departments the upgraded standards, the upgraded expectations, the, the, uh, the people who do not have the time for long-term volunteer commitments, uh, that that's going to change and we'll have countywide fire departments. It just, it's going to have to happen if people want, it, want their houses saved. And the same things with state government. Some of the, uh, the, the assessment, the township assessors being the uh, township trustees being the assessors, that's just not going to work. And yeah. a lot of it's outsourced anyway. Yeah. All right. We have about four minutes to go, which means about a minute per person. And so I want to I talk about the governor's race next year, the president's race next year, and then some predictions for 2008. So, John, why don't you go first? Who, who, let's talk about the governor's race first. Who, who do you think will be the nominees and who do you think well, is going to win? I don't know. One year we had uh, a, a lot of issues here in, in Columbus and that, that were hot issues, hot-button issues, and the mayor uh, – Took you know gambled and 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 he he went through without any opposition. So I've never seen uh, a governor have more balls in the air uh, and more controversial things and potential to tee people off. Uh, it's going to be. But I also remember when when he ran for office, it was like. The, the one of the, it was a steamroller. He was running a year before he started. Uh, I don't see any other candidate doing that. You know, Thompson is uh, 
a candidate, but it's nothing for, for a gubernatorial race. It's getting started real late. Yeah. All right, Max. Well, I, I think in uh, the gubernatorial race, uh, Mitch Daniels is going to have a very difficult time winning re-election, no matter who he's running against. Uh, I, I just think, based on what we saw this year and the upheaval during municipal elections, uh, and I happen to think he's done a pretty good job on many fronts. Uh, you, you can disagree with some of his approaches to things, and, and certainly I would, but uh, I really think it's going to be difficult. I, I will not at all be surprised if uh, if we see uh, Governor Daniels lose his job this year. Well, I would share that assessment. I think uh, my, if I had to predict, and since I won't be here next year, uh, uh, I don't have to worry about being held accountable for this, but my, my bet would be uh, Jill Long Thompson wins the primary, and depending upon what happens in the presidential election, uh, probably wins the governor's office. Uh, I, I know a lot of it would really uh, energize the fan base of Hillary Clinton folks if she were leading the ticket and if Evan Bayer were on that ticket, that would bring folks out. Uh, so I think a lot of it is influenced by uh, what happens at the presidential level. But I think uh, Jill Long Thompson is, is my pick for governor. All right. Well, I think uh, Mitch Daniels is a good enough uh, politician that he's going to survive. But let's move on to the presidential race. Um, he's very good. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> uh, all right, John, in uh, 30 seconds or less. Uh, I, in the presidential race, I predict another record year for Cummins. All right. <laughs> I, I just have to mention they've had a fantastic year. There you go. You know, and, uh, it's, and they've had two stock splits, a uh, new plant I'm online, and that's my vote for president. Good, good use of your time. Max? Yeah. Uh, I would say it's uh, going to be Clinton versus Romney uh, with Clinton winning uh, a, a slight victory. Wow. Will? It's a historic election, uh, whether it's Obama or Clinton on the Democratic side. On the Republican side, it's fun to watch Republicans instead of Democrats being kind of goofy. And so who knows what's going to come out of that pile. But, uh, um, yeah, it's anybody's guess on the Republican side. I mean, Huckabee is doing so well in Iowa right now. Who knows what's going to happen? I don't it's a toss-up. All right, I'm skipping that one too. I'm, I'm taking okay, the. Okay, I'll go. I'll, I stick with what my uh, prediction was at the election show we did, so people can look in the archives. Okay, <laughs> good. Check it on their iPod. Yeah, actually, I think I said Obama, and I think I, I'm, I'm still sort of thinking Barack Obama is going to get the hmm. nomination. And if he gets a nomination, I think he'll win. We only have 30 seconds to go, so you know, any one-word predictions for next year, John? Uh. We need more volunteers. Everybody does. All right, Max. Uh, sunny and warmer. Sunny and warmer. Will. You- uh, today, as we're doing this, they're having the homeless memorial at uh, the First United Methodist Church in poverty. As your paper outlined this year, a continuing story. All right. And I'm not going to predict anything, but I do want to acknowledge uh, that uh, Noon Edition lost a couple of fine folks last year. Mike Pashkash's mother, our engineer, she died in 2007, and so did Mary Catherine Carmichael's mother. That's why Mary Catherine hasn't been with us the last few weeks. So I want to thank Max Jones and John Harmon and Will Murphy for being here with us today. Uh, And I want to wish everybody a happy new year. This is Bob Zaltzberg. It's Noon Edition. Good day. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org.